Good morning. Fern would love for kids of all ages to join her. She's got a nice shady canopy and lots of crafts and fun, fun stuff. So all children, make way. Good morning. Welcome to outdoor worship, everyone. Woo. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be back delivering a teaching again today. Today on what we would determine is our second Sunday after Pentecost. My name is Ann Eustace, and I'm one of your elders. Feeling that old part of elder <laughs> more than ever, but um, if you are visiting today and you'd like to know anything more about St. John, I'd love for you to come see me or Wendy Woods or Dan or any number of folk, but um, Wendy and Dan are at our Welcome Center where um, we've brought some cold water and Kathy Miller's brought some banana bread, so have at it. Okay. So today I'm happy to report that I finally finally finished my academic year uh, where I'm doing graduate school teaching and supervision. It was honestly the hardest one that I've had in 33 years in education. And so that led me to want to check in quickly with you all. When I was here, um, I gave you homework three, three weeks ago and I wondered how's that been going? Not good to lie in church. Okay, all right, okay. I tasked you and I tasked myself with trying to work on our own testimonies uh, so that as I was reading to you from the book, um, Speak Out, that we could first go out and share our own, with our own personal Jerusalems, then our own Judeas, and then to the ends of the earth. I didn't expect you to have gotten that far yet, but I just wanted to get started. And I spoke last time about during this uh, sending that we would according to First Peter, expect to encounter suffering. Nothing like giving a teaching on suffering to make it become quite real for your preacher, because um, I've had quite a time. <laughs> but if you have been working on your homework, then I also expect that you've had some real challenges and stumbling blocks, because that's what the enemy tries to do. We get motivated, and he gets fearful, and then he tries to get in our way. Dan reminded those of us gathered at a prayer for all session the other morning that we needed to remember during this sending to what I would call armor up. By fervently and conscientiously digging into the word of God, we are then armed with the sword of the spirit. We are given divine power to destroy strongholds, be they internal in us or external threats. So all I can say today is thank you, Jesus and come Holy Spirit. With that recap, let's now dig into my core text for today, the calling of Matthew and his response to follow Jesus. Since it's so short, I'm gonna read it again. Matthew 9, 9 to 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, and that's thought to be Matthew's mega mansion, by the way, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Okay, sword of the spirit, right? Dig into the word. Okay, Jesus, we'll bite. We'll attempt to go and we'll learn what, what he's talking about. So you knew me, you know me, I went and did a little research and here's what I found out. That phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is a Hebrew mode of speaking and it means, quote, I prefer acts of benevolence and kindness to mere external compliance with the duties of a religion. Jesus also used this phrase to teach that he wants he wants us to move beyond the idea of sacrifice and get our whole hearts involved with other people's lives so that all we know is the passion to love others as he loves us. In Matthew 9:13, Jesus tells us that we should be showing mercy to one another regardless of our sins or the stigmas associated with those sins. And God also desires kindness without animal sacrifices. And that phrase is a direct reference to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And that says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than that of burnt offerings. So that little tidbit was summarized by, from five sources, but if you need my references later, I can provide them. Okay, so now let's look at mercy. A working definition of mercy that I've come up with, and you can, you know, debate me on this, but I believe mercy is compassion or forgiveness that's shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm, but instead I make a conscious decision to do otherwise. So, deep, deep, deep compassion. From Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. How encouraging is that, that God pours out his love for us and that his mercies are new to us every morning. Today and every day is a new day in which we can move in a direction that defines our eternity. Our contentment, it's not found in the things of this world, but in God's constant and consistent mercy in his saving grace. But I digress a little bit back to Matthew's call and response. I don't know about you all, but I can't imagine being Matthew and simply up and walking away from my job. I can honestly say that in the last few months I've thought about that. <laughs> it truly boggles my mind. But Dan reminded me that Jesus already knew exactly what Matthew was going to do. But I don't imagine that Matthew really knew what he was going to do. His response to me is miraculous. I know that I attempt to follow and follow Jesus because of my growing and deepening relationship with him. But that has taken me a really long time. So thank God for these new mercies every day as I need them. But I can resonate deeply with Matthew as I am acutely aware of my sinfulness. And I don't need any Pharisees pointing that out. So this drop everything and follow Jesus response, like a mic drop, but I won't do it. It led me to think about some what ifs. 
And my curious mind went to my favorite movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. I started to ponder, what if Jesus had not called Matthew? What if Jesus had not called you or me to follow him? What then? Would it even matter? So my brain's a little whacked, but I, I comically first thought, well, there probably would have never been a significant Jews for Jesus movement. <laughs> because Matthew was a Jew's Jew, right? He wrote for the Jews to see clearly that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And another source I checked wrote, as an apostle, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew in the early period of the church, probably A.D. 55 to 65. And this was a time when most Christians were Jewish converts. So Matthew's focus on the Jewish perspective in this gospel is quite understandable. Matthew intended to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. More than any other gospel, the gospel of Matthew quotes the Old Testament to show how Jesus fulfilled the words of the Jewish prophets. Matthew describes in detail the lineage of Jesus from David, and he uses many forms of speech that Jews would have been really comfortable with. His love and concern for his people is apparent throughout his meticulous approach to telling the gospel story. That led me to think about all those engineers and logical mathematical types. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, Alan. Okay, all the logical mathematical types that would miss Matthew's significant contributions and the connections that they can relate to because of the style and substance of his, his gospel, his story. Our dear Jackie Wendell reminded me last week how important it was that Matthew was a scribe. But remember, not the kind that you might first think of in the Bible. We would be right to think of him more as a secular scribe. Because as a tax collector, Matthew's job would have involved meticulously recording and documenting tax information. And some argue that Jesus was referring to him in Matthew 13:52, because his job would have technically made him fit the description of a quote-unquote scribe. The text of that verse is this. Therefore, every scribe who has now become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The scribe of Matthew 13:52 is no doubt Matthew himself, who is a tax collector and who as a tax collector had been a secular scribe. Jesus likens him to a person bringing forth treasures new and old, the old being those acquired as a tax collector, such as the gifts for accuracy, organization, you guys have got that, and then the new being Jesus's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus encounters Matthew at a tax booth in Capernaum, a city on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, hometown, and the gospel talks about his gospel talks about money in more detail and in greater frequency than in any other gospel similar to how the gospel of luke written by luke a physician includes greater detail about ailments and uses precise medical terminology here's something i learned gold and silver are only mentioned once in the entire book of mark four times in luke but matthew mentions gold and silver 28 times the famous parable of the talents only appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew makes a curious substitution. Compare when you have time the line in the prayer as recorded by Matthew and that in Luke, 
where Matthew's version suggests that we are to be forgiven our debts. Matthew's gospel also paid particular attention to Jesus' statements about money. It had a great, he had a greater understanding of financial matters, and he saw finance as a helpful lens to understand the gospel. Matthew was one of Jesus' most powerful examples of the forgiveness that God offers everyone. This tax collector was reviled for who he was, but Jesus loved him for who he was. And despite his position as a religious outsider, Jesus gave him a prominent position within what would eventually become the largest religion in the world. Another source I consulted said that this style of his book is exactly what would be expected of a man who was once a tax collector. Because Matthew has a keen interest in accounting, as we see in chapter 18, verses 23 to 24, and chapter 25, verses 14 and 15. His gospel is very orderly and concise. Rather than being written in chronological order, Matthew arranges it through six discussions. And as a tax collector, he possessed a skill that makes his writing all the more exciting for Christians. Tax collectors were expected to be able to write in a form of shorthand, which essentially meant that Matthew could record a person's words as they spoke, word for word. I have to do this in my work. This ability means that the words of Matthew are not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, but should represent an actual transcript, transcript of some of Christ's sermons. For example, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in his Gospel chapters 5 to 7, it's almost certainly a perfect recording of that great message. And then finally, I thought about what we would be missing as far as core teachings if that only appear in Matthew's gospel. It was akin to me to in, when in a, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey realizes that if he hadn't been around, then Harry Bailey would not have been around either, and all kinds of casualties would have resulted from that loss of Harry. Because guess what all is in Matthew? His gospel contains much valuable information about Jesus and his teaching, which we don't find in any of, with any of the other evangelists. Regarding events in Jesus' public life, the following, and I'm quoting um, a British guy, are proper to Matthew alone. In Matthew, we find the healing of the two blind men, the promise of the promise, primacy of Peter, the tax paid by Jesus, the story of Judas's suicide, and the guard at Jesus' sepulcher. Matthew also provides reflections on Jesus' infancy and testimonies about the resurrection that are not found in any other gospel. And moreover, this is my favorite part, Matthew has preserved for us many teachings of Jesus that we would otherwise not even know. As far as parables, we get the city on the hill, the pearls before the swine, the wolves in sheep's clothing, the fruit of the fig tree, the parable of the weed sown among corn, the merchant who finds a hidden treasure, the merchant who finds the pearl, the net full of good and bad fish, the householder in the storeroom, the debtor who has not forgiven his fellow men, the laborers in the vineyard, the willing and the unwilling son, the wise and foolish virgins, and the division of sheep from goats, all parables. He also gives us these instructions, only found there, on the importance of rec 
reconciliation before sacrifice, on avoiding oaths, on practicing virtue in secret, on taking up Jesus's yoke, on the authority of the church, and on the value of celibacy. So as I get ready to close, I think it's important for us to pause for a moment and reflect on, it's your part now, what are your next steps as we are called to follow God in the ways of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or as we say here with our tagline at St. John, follow God, share life, and love neighbor. Because I believe when we're truly following we hear and then we obey. Remember in Hebrew, there wasn't a distinction. If you were listening, you both heard and then you acted. What we hear and what we think is from God must line up with scripture, the Holy Bible, and it must. we must allow time to observe, reflect, and discuss with others before we move into action to plan, account, and then finally act. Here in the season of Pentecost, I just call to mind the Holy Spirit as our comforter. He's our eternal strength, and he guides us so that when we act, it never feels like striving. So what about this sinner to saint distinction? You all know that's bogus, right? It's not an apt distinction, okay? We're all sinners. Um, when I was a young legal eagle at the United States Department of Justice, Friday nights would come about and the attorneys would be like, you're going to go out with us? Is it a night for the sinners or the saints? And because they knew that every other Friday I was waitressing at the Potter's House in D.C., um, the longest running Christian coffee house in the country, and they'd be like, sinners or saints? And I was like, that's not how it goes. It's always sinners. But then we decided to alternate. So one week they, we'd go to happy hour, and the next week they'd come with me to the Potter's House. And so I just tell you, find Find your Jerusalem, and, and you'll find your peeps. So who is your who as we get ready to be sent? And what is your what? It's going to be different from e for each of us. I can't leave here without putting in a plug for life groups. We have six life groups where we really follow the, the tagline of following God, sharing life, and loving neighbor. But we really try to share life together and learn from each other while we also engage in service. We have six groups right now, and there's more information. You can see me or Shane or Lisa or Dave or Irene or Alan or Jean or Jay or Lori or Candace. Um, pretty sure almost all of them are here today. So come find us, and we'll tell you about life groups. But as my closing, I want to jump ahead to Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and then clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And I know you know what's next in this passage, right? I know that my buddy Ken Cunningham certainly does. He's got a Kairos ministry at Jessup. So whatever you do, do whatever you do to the least of these, you know you also do unto me. So please join me in prayer, and we thank you for Matthew. Father, let us today follow you as you taught us to seek out the least, the last, and the lost. Let us respond to them with soft hearts and in mercy, as you have responded to us. Let us realize that you need each one of us with our own unique strengths and weaknesses to build your kingdom in this small corner of central Maryland for a time such as this. In your son's holy name, 
Amen.